Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, it's Christine. Welcome to the Private Affairs After Show. This is the episode where we talk about some of the themes that came up in season two with guest co-hosts Amanda and Rumi from It's Laid podcast, as well as Dr. Xavier Mulenga, Zambian psychiatrist who will join in a little later for the mental health segment. I also wanted to take a moment to mention that if you're keen for a season three, please support by making a donation or buying merch at privateaffairspod.com. Any amount is appreciated. So with that said, a quick warning, we will be discussing depression, anxiety, and sex. Listener discretion is advised. You guys, a lot went down this season. Well, actually, before we get into that, let's introduce you. So on the podcast today, joining me again, I've got Rumbi and Amanda from It's Layered. Such a great podcast. Yay. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome back, guys. Isha, thank you. We're so ready. Yeah, this season. Too much was happening. So excited to get into it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it quite interesting because you guys just wrapped your fourth season. And a lot of the topics that you guys covered in your fourth season, we touched on in Private Affairs season two. So super excited to get your take uh, from, you know, looking at it from a dramatic representation of some of those topics. So one of the biggest topics that came through was Mati and Tunde's storyline, and particularly around fertility issues and the choice of whether to have kids or not to have kids. And I thought this would be really great for us to talk about because, Amanda, you are married and you are a new mom, yay, to yay. the most cute baby boy. And Rumbi, you're newly married as well. So congratulations. Thank so, you. So yeah. So tell me as married women, what were your takes on the Tunde Mati situation? Well, for me with Mati, one word to describe the situation for me was pressure. Like mm. that's just, I just felt like, do we actually get a choice in what we choose to do with our lives? That's just what Mati kept confronting me with as a character. I remember thinking, do we actually choose or do we just fall into these things because we think this is how it's meant to be? And Mati was pretty much fighting that in my, in my, my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, it, for me, it brought up a lot of questions about their communication as a couple, the two of them. And she seemed to be afraid to share with Tonde her personal decisions, like, do I actually even want to have kids? I'm not even sure. The fact that she went as far as, spoiler alert if you haven't already listened to the season, she went as far as, you know, using contraception and her husband didn't know. 
like that is very telling. And I think it brought to light also that layer of her being afraid to share that maybe I don't want to have children. And Tonde on his side, obviously feeling the pressure from family, I think he listened a lot to his family and parents or what society thought. So they just were not meeting each other or not even speaking the same language, it felt. No. Yeah, no, definitely not the same language. Because, I mean, she did try to reach out to him and he pretty much was like, oh, yeah, OK, that's fine. Let's just keep going on with my plan. Like, it's a cry for help. Like, it is a literal cry for help. And he blatantly just did not consider it. Yeah. And what I thought was really interesting, getting feedback from the audience on that situation is that episode one, people were very Team Monty, you know, we had the whole drink situation in Thailand. Come episode four, it kind of felt like the tide had shifted. And I did ask uh, a poll question, and this was on Instagram, as well as on Spotify and Twitter. I asked the question, is Mati selfish, self-aware, or both? Hey, for me, if I can share, I think she was very self-aware, but afraid of that realization in a way. I think it scared her to even admit it publicly and to herself. And I think maybe her approach to getting what she wanted was a little selfish. But I also understood where she was coming from. There's a lot of pressure, and I think it really brought to light the pressure of being married in a Zimbabwean society to a Zimbabwean man and all the expectations. Could she have gone about it a different way? I think so. Um, but I think it's hard to even have those conversations because you're not even allowed to think, I maybe don't want to have kids. Yeah. Mm. I think the selfishness comes in that obviously Tonde had no idea, again, what Rumbi said, communicating with your partner. Because I do wonder, like, did they have conversations prior to all of this? And how do those go? And do the conversations change before you get married to when you're married? Because I feel like an expectations shift happened for both of them. You know, she expects him to support her career-wise and for her to keep climbing up the ladder. He expects you're a wife now. You know what to do. I mean, one of the mm -hmm. scenes, I think he even said after their argument, after the, them having some sort of resolution, he was like, what's for dinner? So for him, it really is just like, next. You know what to do? Then just perform. Just do it. And I think that's really hard because I think men and women in that particular sense have a different idea of the journey it is to have a child. Trying is not, is not, people make it sound like it's all sexy. You're like, okay, maybe the first few months. <laughs> but when you, don't, <laughs> when you don't get results, now you're just stuck in this loop of two weeks, I'm ovulating. The next two weeks, am I going to have my period or not? And you're stuck in that, like, and I think for guys, and especially towards the end, one of the comments was, it feels perfunctory. We're just doing it. We're not even enjoying it anymore. And I think it's just, for him, he just saw the end result. Whereas for Mati, it's a journey, you know. How is she going to get there? And is it the way that everyone expects? Yeah. And I think even the fact that she eventually then confided in V, which shows that we just don't have that room to have the conversation of, is this something for me? Why is it for me? Even though it's a muddy, like, you no one really knows why someone has... I mean, some people know for sure, but sometimes we're not too sure why we have children. I think 
it shows that we just don't provide the space to be like, okay, let's unpack why are their concerns, how do we navigate this? But we just we just don't talk about it enough. Yeah, and I think and we I think- also don't have a visual. Sorry, kicks of of what it looks like when you don't have kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you think of all, like, a lot of the people we know who are older than us were married, very, very, very few didn't have kids. And if they didn't have kids, there was always a problem attached, quote-unquote problem. Oh, maybe this happened or that happened. So we've never seen people reliving their lives to the fullest without kids and then going, oh, but they are doing it and they seem fine, they seem happy, they seem fulfilled. So I think because we don't have the visual or we're the first generation to really question it, it's like we're still in that murky water of what is marriage without kids. Yeah. Okay, Mati and Tonde also had the issue of infidelity in the relationship. Maybe this is what people were most mad at Mati at, I don't know. <laughs> but um, it seemed like a lot of people were, okay, let me not say a lot of people, but some of the feedback I was getting was that, a lot of the blame was being ascribed to Mati with the whole Mati Taft situation. So who ought to bear the responsibility in this situation? Obviously, Mati's the married one, but is Taft completely free of uh, any responsibility in what went down? What do you think? Oh, hell no, he's not free. Taft is not free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my haters. Yeah, I'm passionate about this one, clearly. Because for me, it's such a old rhetoric, right? That the girl wears the blame all the time. Whether you're married or not, it's mainly the girl who always gets the blame because women to quote unquote know better, do better. Whereas guys can trifle around and it's okay. So I feel like even if Taff was married or not married, it's not even a question about that. It's more the fact that girls usually always wear the responsibility. We wear the labels, that's for sure. You know, you get called a slut the moment you sleep with another guy, just a second guy. You're like, this is my second guy, guys. How am I being, you know? And I feel like things always happen when Taff is around. That's why she wanted the couples, the trip to be a couples one to start off with. Uh, Tonde and Taff seem to have some sort of camaraderie, some sort of friendship there. So what's going to happen there when Tonde finds out? Like, yeah, no, Mati is also, <laughs> she can't carry all the blame. I have Remember your facial expressions are just thoughts. killing me. You're, no, Amanda's like, I agree. Like, of course, as adults, we all should take responsibility for our actions. Like, yes. We agree with that. However, I don't think people also think about where Mati's position is. She's grappling with the idea that her marriage is over, that there's all this pressure for her to perform and it's her fault. And it's like, no, just get on with it. And yes, maybe her decision to hook up with Taff, not the greatest, whatever. However, as Amanda pointed out, he seems to be homie buddy buddy with uh, Tonde. So I'm like, how buddy buddy is it? I thought it was bros before hoes. I, I thought right. it was bros before right. hoes. Where's the bro code now, guys? Where's, <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. So I was just like, we also know Taff is just, you know, a loose biscuit. He's just over there. He's not a cream biscuit. <laughs> he doesn't hold his legs together. So I'm just like, okay, fine. But to be honest, out of respect for the friendship, I think, yes, they're all responsible for their actions. However, I don't think it's fair to put it only on Mati because he a grown man and he he knows what's what in the situation. 
Understood. And the nerve to come after Luke and say, hey, you didn't jump into the fight in Thailand. Hey, hey, like, now you are also in this compromising situation. <laughs> exactly. What worse? You know, he's trying to judge Luke's character of, hey, he's a yeah. flaky guy. He didn't jump in and cut the fight or whatever. And yet you've done, in my eyes, something But that's worse. what a high-value man does. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but you're busy popping bottles on the, on the yacht. On the I yacht. know. I that's know. Like, I was just like, Taff, choose your battles. Like, pick one. Pick one side. You want everything. That's what we call fair with the friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm with you when we're rolling on them yachts. Yeah. <laughs> now, another uh, topic that really resonated with people was uh, around work and how people feel about work. So some people said, uh, this was in relation to episode three, that episode really hit close to home. You know, some people were saying that, yeah, they know exactly what V is going through with those feelings of feeling lost or feeling behind in life. It seems like people are tired. Okay. We are like tired. People are just <laughs> over it. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get your take on on that situation with V and also just like more broadly, what role should work play in our lives? Is it is it wrong or unrealistic for us for people to want more from work? That's a layered question right there. I think the old system no longer works and no longer serves us as individuals. If we look at our parents, I think we've spoken about this. It was like, you get this job and you just grow through the ranks. That was a goal because the goal was to set up the family. So you're past the you know level that your previous generation was. I think that we have been sold the dream that we are supposed to do what we're passionate about and wake up every day excited about it. I think the reality is not everyone has the luxury of waking up and doing something they're passionate about without thinking of the consequences thereof. And then if you think about black tax, which is something we went into depth about in one of our episodes in season four, you know that Back home, people are depending on you and waiting for that paycheck, you know, month to month. So there's a whole myriad of reasons why it's not so black and white. Um, In terms of uh, V situation, absolutely relatable. And I think because we're seeing movements like the Great Resignation and people choosing to take control of their lives, I think it really is saying enough is enough. It's no longer enough to be in the rat race and chase the paper or whatever, what society says is success. Yeah, yeah. Jeanette Malay is this one because even I started thinking, well, if you're not at the table, I think Taft did bring it up in a way. It's probably the only thing I thought, okay, Taft, today you've got some points. <laughs> Why are you mad at though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Because um, <laughs> like, if we don't also be part of the conversation within these companies, will we ever be included? You know, that's always been our thing. Oh, you know, there's no representation. I think, was it Mati who said they don't even have an Asian at the senior level exactly. in this country? Yeah. And in Australia, that's a big like, what? Because they've been here for much longer yeah. than, than Africans, for example, have been. So it's 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 a layered topic because it's like someone has to be the one to charge for, you know, through and fight all these things so that our next generations can have places at these tables. But it's, it's a heavy cross to bear. Yeah. And um, I found this uh, statistic here from the 2018 Australian Human Rights Commission report 
that said 95% of senior leaders had an Anglo-Celtic or European background, compared that to the demographics of Australia, just 24% of Australian population had non-European and Indigenous backgrounds. So basically, it's overrepresented, you know. We're already coming from, like, we're disadvantaged as Black people, people of colour um, already. So we're trying to close the gap, but we just have been set up so far back that we know it comes at such a high price and we don't have the luxury or the support or the generational wealth that some of our other counterparts have. Yeah. Speaking Mm -hmm. of generational wealth, um, we started seeing some resentment now creeping into the relationship with the way V was looking at Luke and his background and, you know, the options that wealth affords him. One listener put it as, I can see how big differences in class can be an even bigger hurdle than a difference in race. What do you guys think about that statement? I think it's so true. And V, or the way you wrote the character of V, showed it. So she she's successful. It's not like it's not like V is just anybody. Like she's successful. And yet she still felt like there's so many places where she's inadequate or she can't have the freedom to do what she would like to do. She kept saying, I think a line she kept saying was, hmm, must be nice. And it's true. It must be nice because she knows in her confines, she can't even attempt to try those things. And when, obviously, when Luke offered trying to be supportive, it comes across a little bit condescending because like, dude, don't you see my life? Don't you see all the things I have to do? And you think I have the freedom? But I think in Luke's mind, he does see that she has the freedom. He sees himself as, you know, I can save you from this thing, which in itself is another conversation. Do I want to be saved? And how does that look like if I agree to be saved? You hit the nail on the head. Luke comes across as having the savior complex. And I agree that it could actually create more tension than somehow race. Because race, you can be like, you know what? It's whatever I see you as a human, which ultimately any relationship is. You're a human, I'm a human. That's the essence of it. But when it's like money, and we already know money plays a huge role in relationships for their success or failure, whether we like to say it or not. So I I think it's one of the things where you really, it's confronting and you have to have that vulnerability with your partner to be like, this is what it brings up. And also your partner, you got to hope and pray if they are the more successful partner, don't hold it against you or dangle it in front of you. Like I helped you. Remember I was your savior, X, Y, Z. But do you think it's a mindset thing? Because like sometimes we want to be treated like, come on, when I was on that yard, people were like, yeah, popping bottles. We were enjoying Luke having access. (laughs) You know, I I think there's a, there's a beautiful moment in one of the scenes where it's like, Luke is like, uh, so are we cancelling the yacht? And people are like, no, like you know, unison, like everybody, and even I is listening. I was like, oh hell no, you canceling? Go and pop them bottles, you know. So like, then it's like hard for Luke also, like not to. I don't, I don't know what it feels like to be a trust fund baby, but I'm trying to just bring that aspect as well. Like, are they also just living their lives? Should they feel guilty for it because they do have access and they can help? So is yeah. it being savior when you offer that or because then sometimes we pick and choose when we want to be saved and taken care of. And then sometimes we're like, oh, no, now you're being condescending. But on that topic of help, I do want to welcome onto the program Dr. Xavier <gasps> Mulenga. Yay. 
Hey, hello everyone. How are you going? Good. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Hey, is it for me? I, I, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, abroad. Okay, wow. Okay. Are you first? Or oh, something? You people are international. I sorry, like, I didn't know. The first is like... <laughs> it's like... It's that side. You know? It's just yeah, like, like, you know, like, okay. It's that side. Sorry, I've been throwing shade. I came on. Sorry. It's Christina. I interrupted you. <laughs> Yeah, you're in Perth. Uh, no, I'm, I'm currently in Germany. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 Super excited to welcome you onto the show. So you are a Zambian physician based in Sydney. Shout out to Sydney. Yeah. So yeah, what we just started talking about was uh, V and her depression spiral. And I wanted to get from you as an expert, like what is burnout? What is depression? Mm. What is anxiety? Are these things related? Ah, yes, they are. Um, 100%, I should say, they are all related. Uh, they're sort of like um, two sides of the same coin. It's like burnout usually pertains to usually work, right? So it gets a combination of different symptoms that are like negative, feeling exhausted, not enjoying your work for whatever reason. And usually the context would be either workplace bullying or maybe you don't actually like your job and you're still doing it. You're not getting any fulfillment from it. I think Africans have this thing where we can, our burnout comes later. So I think we tend to put it down as resilience, but it's not. It's mm. just us being like, we just have to show this face, this facade that we're doing well, etc. That's how I usually describe burnout. And burnout, usually if you don't get on top of it, you end up having, you know, low mood. Most people actually end up getting depression. They start doing drug and alcohol problems. So I think I should mention also do like general psychiatry and addiction psychiatry, right? So you find the, they, they come together more or less. Um, so that's like how I explain burnout. Um, depression, you know, I'm just going through it fast just for time, right? But yeah. depression. No, this is great. Yeah, no, depression is actually one of the good ones because a lot of Africans, when I tell them that we're depression, they look at me and say, I can't be depressed. It couldn't make sense. I don't have time to be depressed. I don't have time to mm. be weak, etc. And, and she's someone who actually knows the stigma, but she's like, oh yeah, I know, but it's not for me. It's for those other people. How did, but, you, how did you know that she was exhibiting signs of depression? Maybe you could talk oh, to yeah. us about that. Mm. Yeah. So the main signs, like, there are quite a few, but the main ones that come to mind is people who have, first of all, poor sleep. I have to say, a lot of us immigrants and black people, our sleep is bad, especially black men. Some people say it's because we're cheating too much and it's demons, but usually it's just because... <laughs> Shots I'm fired. Shots fired. Trust me, I'm not the, the most favored in the male WhatsApp groups, you know? I'm always calling you drama. <laughs> yeah, but poor sleep is the number one, you know? And then they start showing like a lack of interest in things they actually used to like doing. So if they like playing tennis or going out for a walk, you had movie days, they're just like, I know, no, I can't do it. There's always some excuse and it's very vague. Just feeling really low and depressed. But the big ones tend to be, if they're feeling depressed all the time, can't get out of bed. And a big one as well is when they start getting very, the high thoughts of ending their life or feeling suicidal. But then like, even like V, she had this sort of passive, what I was called passive, maybe suicidality, where it's like, maybe if I wasn't here, it starts like that. Then later they actually start thinking, Maybe I should take my life. So suicidality is a big one. If someone's have suicidality, they're more like they already have depression, anxiety there. And it actually usually, if it's not checked in or if the stress doesn't go away, it starts escalating. Usually a lot of self-harm we do with drugs and sex for Africans. That's our go-to, sadly. It's something that people can actually relate to. And actually in the series season two, I, I really like the fact that you hit on it, whether it was Mati with eh, that Tabaza demon and you know, all these other things. <laughs> Seriously, but we've all been there. You know what I was talking about? I, I told Christine that show, I, I find your show very triggering. It reminds me of times where like, ah, did you not do that thing as well, Zev? She, <laughs> she came for sympathetic ear 
Next thing you know, it's bedroom mumbo jumbo. <laughs> bedroom mumbo jumbo. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a PG for the kids, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask if, if I can? Uh, yeah. If we look at V's situation in, in the season and, you know, Luke trying to assist her in getting help, would you have any sort of advice for friends or people around people who are depressed or going through a difficult situation on how mm. we can speak to them and try and encourage them to seek help or see some hope in life in, in the midst of what they're going through. Yes. Yeah, no problem. There, there are quite a few simple techniques. I, I think what I always tell people as well, if you ever want to know how to go about it properly, if you just Google or YouTube mental health first aid, that's what the, we call it now, where we're trying to, you know, like where you do CPR, you can learn how to like maybe resuscitate a life if someone collapsed in front of you. So there are actually courses online, usually free, or you can even go in person where they actually teach you, hey, what are the steps to getting someone to get help? It's like mental health first aid. It's like your first responder, that's your friend or family member. But the main things I always tell people, number one, you are not the counselor. You have to remember that. That's number one. You are not the therapist. I know you've read the books. You've got Oprah's book there. You've got, and you're, I'm not saying you're, what you say is good, but you become over-invested in a way that actually sometimes would make both of you start sinking. That's why mm. helping people with depression, if you're doing it the wrong way, it feels bearing. Like, oh, I'm trying to get this guy to do this. He's still doing it. You get tired. You get fatigued and you actually build resentment to this person. That's why people actually don't like helping people with mental health issues because if they're going about it the wrong way, it's quite exhausting, right? And then that will give, make you feel like I should just avoid those people. Yeah. Um, but but what happens says, when you, to, to Rumbi's point, like when you're mm. playing the support uh, position, well, not playing, but you're in the support position, like yeah. Luke was, this is your partner. You can't like, just like distance yourself from them completely. And mm-hmm. if we're going to be real, like she was really mean to him, you know, while yes. she was going through her situation. So how can people protect their own peace? When it's someone who's like that close, you're probably seeing them every day. You know what I mean? Like it's not yeah. as easy to remove yourself from the situation maybe. Yeah. In, in relationships, it's definitely harder. So communication. So don't be the therapist, then communication. And by that, I mean trying to address the elephant in the room. You know, it's like, what's going on? Like you really did a good job of trying to reprobe and she was resistant because that's what happens and she's got her own things going. But I think having a good dialogue, sitting down, have a discussion about what you think is going on. Do they need help? You think they need help? And just saying what you feel and actually saying that you, you check in. The problem is that people then start getting pushy. No, I know you're not doing well. You know, you actually, because you know it. Because I think when you listen to Luke, sometimes people think, ah, this guy should have done more. So even like with Tafaza, like you know, this guy, like, he should have done more. And actually the healthier thing is actually, okay, he was going to and he gave us space. And he said, listen, this relationship won't work unless you're engaging. And that's actually a healthy way of doing it. It's just a problem that a lot of us will see is abandoning ship, but only she can come to the table. And usually a lot of the time I tell people, try and get them to see a professional. So usually GPs, okay? Because those are the main people who are going to get you referrals to psychologists, maybe drug and alcohol counselors, or even just do a basic checkup. And I even tell people, ask for the GPs who have got an interest in mental health. Mm. So that's the place you want to get them to. And then also knowing the emergency numbers, like Lifeline. I know you open your podcast, you put them there as well. I think you put Lifeline in the comment section. In the notes, uh, yeah. In, yeah, in the notes, exactly for if shit hits the fan. Yeah. Shit hit the fan in episode four at the end when V had an ang- well panic attack. Um, yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about anxiety and mm. where does that fit into in terms of mental health and well-being? 
Yeah. So anxiety is one of those tricky ones because everyone has anxiety, right? It's, it's a part of survival technique, like just baseline anxiety. Like you've got a presentation, you're a bit anxious about it. You know, you're bringing the, the boyfriend home to the parents. Is it up to scratch? Wrong tribe, <laughs> wrong race. It's a lot, you know, so there's a, that's normal anxiety. So now when it comes pathological, the type where you need to get more help, it's essentially have excessive worry and rumination over thoughts and things you can't let go. Right. And it persists. And then you start getting to a point where you start developing uh, anxiety, physical symptoms. So for me, I think the nausea and vomiting, palpitations, you can get nauseous, you, kind of, you get these physical, actual physical symptoms, headaches, migraines. And I think a lot of us focus on those as the problem. Say, like, oh, no, doc, I've got migraines. But then really, you've got stress causing these migraines or anxiety. It gets, so I, I, should, I should mention, for depression, anxiety, and any mental illness, it really becomes a problem if, it's really, if it affects your relationships at work, romantic, family, and friends, or it stops you from looking after yourself and self-care or just managing your day, daily activities. That's when you've gone overboard. So even like for V, I think for her, she was doing that sort of countdown, like another day. And just, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this woman is actually going down that spiral, like, you know, burnout with anxiety building. And I thought a bit of depression, but, you know, and then it actually came to the anxiety attack. She's pushing everyone away. She's hard to reach. And that's the tricky part you have when you're trying to reach out to these people. Because I think the friends did try in their own way. These are our closest friends, right? Yeah. And, and then still was like, no. I remember in high school, some of our white classmates would, before an exam, be panicking and they had to take drops. I remember even at university, take drops to calm themselves. And I remember us black people were like, what is that? What, what's even a panic attack? Mm-hmm. Or someone in the exam had a panic It's like, what's that? Like, you know, and I think it's that, sort of we joked about it but it's that mentality and I think even our parents it's like what do you mean you're sick what do you mean you're not well if you're feeling depressed or they just look at you like what do you mean get out of bed I was just gonna say I also think like as people of color our happiness is also materialistic so we're looking at someone like V like you got a job you got a man you've got a you've got this 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 how can you not be happy so I think when we come to like look comparing to our parents generation that was their um, ticks of done, done, done. So I think when we start to say, oh, I'm sleeping in bed or I'm, I'm anxious, I'm, they look at us like, but what problems do you have? And going back to what you're saying, Rumbi, as well, was I think we don't want to, we are not yet having those deeper conversations about what's really going on. Childhood trauma, like if you look back at our parents, sometimes we, 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 we got roasted in the glasses. Look at all our families. Is there not some level of incest, drug and alcohol, domestic abuse? You people are acting as if you live in your homes. Don't play games. I know African families. You know what I mean? I, I, people come to me and like, oh, no, my family. T- let's talk about your father and small house, big house. Let's talk. Yeah. How are you doing? Sorry. Mm. I yeah. didn't <laughs> Yo, no, people yes. are coming at you know, I've, I've been questioning you. myself, like, you know, why do you just, why is Taff the, the demon, um, mm-hmm. as Dr. Xavier said, like, why, why? but it's really, it's, it's just there. And I think yes. to give him more substance, what I appreciated in the season is we got to hear a bit of his backstory with V and with his father and, and mother mm-hmm. and seeing that. And so you touching on the generational trauma and like all those things. And we try to act like it ain't got nothing to do with anything in your opinion for Taff, like mm. if he could speak on him as a character yes. and why he's such an F boy. Um, and, and, and <laughs> that's the average Zim Melbourne man. But okay, go yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, <laughs> but no, I think he's actually a good case study, I, but it, it all stems from the beginning. So I think Christine, to your credit, a lot of that, that 
flashback sequence, right? So Eva's hiding the secrets. Everyone, even I've done, done those situations, you're hiding from your mom, father's affairs. Can you imagine? That's how we're living. We're all living in secrecy. And then when the father blows up and he's, he's saying, like, take your kids and go. And a lot of people, we don't talk about it enough nearly that sometimes back at home, some men look at children as these virgins and they'll remind mm. you, you know, mm. and it's, you know, we talk about love, but I think people know duty. I always joke, do, do black men know what love is? And like, what does he, has he ever seen it through his father? The relationship? Yeah. We, we, you can't do what you can't see, what you haven't seen. Right. So for Tavazza, I think there's that sort of the big house, small house, what it does innately is it teaches you how to, if you're having problems in one house, you go elsewhere. And that's really something, a lot of black men can relate to it. Hey, woman is nagging, nagging, side chick, mistress. That's the solution. And you know, we know how to find them because you're actually trained in these things. Everyone knows where to find side chicks. Where's can the you, wife? For clarity, can you tell <laughs> yeah, us where you find? For our brothers out there. I said too much. too much. They, they know. Sure they don't know. Too much. Yeah, if too much. you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the father bought him off with a car. And it's interesting how also him, like, I've got a house. He's very flash, you know, flashy. And I think that's why him and Luke also clash. Because I'm not even convinced he really does love uh, V. But, you know, it's something that happens where someone who's more consistent than him gets the girl and shows her. So I guess what, what a loving relationship can look like. There are also problems there. You know, interracial is not a cure for everything. But, you know, it's something where I think it challenged him. Like, oh, this guy's now flexing on a boat. He's a doctor, mm-hmm. you know. He's a respectable guy. As far as we know, okay, there was a cheating thing there, you know. But at least it's sort of, I guess, he, he came cleaner and he hasn't got the reputation that the father was. Where for him, if he dates V, if they get up into a fight, is he going to go elsewhere and find the side chicks where, you know, because he knows where they are. You know, even with Matty, it just shows how problematic he is that, he can't even like hold space for people's emotional issues, not it being sexual. And I think he'd have to go through a lot of oof, therapy to figure out why all this money and thing won't make him feel happy and why he can't make women happy because he can't make himself feel happy because all the stuff he uses is external. So for him, I always think, and he drinks too much, you know, yeah. he's always been drinking too much. I, I don't know if that's where we're going to come season three. I'm going to like, Detox Tafazo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, alcoholism Tafazo. Yeah. Yes. So alcohol you know, you and know, sex you, for him, yeah. You brought up a good point because I remember they were peacocking, you know, oh, I'll buy dinner. Oh, I'll take you on a yard. And it's like, and then even when he had that voice note to V, he chalked mm. it up to that. You know, I'm the guy for you, but this guy has more. So I get why you're going with him. He doesn't mm. have any sort of nuance in that maybe Luke sees V for who she is and not yeah. something to conquer or conquest. And I have a question because Amanda and I on It's Led, we talk a lot about how we love black love. But why yes, does yeah. it always seem like it comes with so much weight? And it's like in Taft's case, he's saying, choose me V because we've been through it together. You know what? I, I don't know how to explain. It's always like the cost of it. Um, we're seeing with Tone and Mati, it's like the cost of that, that, that relationship. And you know, it's why, uh, how do we get yeah. to like easy back black love? Like what, why is it? Soft life, like black right? love. Soft, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's going to become maybe the next few generations, but you're right. Yeah. We, a lot of us, it's like black love is struggle love. It's still that way mm-hmm. now. Beyonce, this is kicking out of it. Name any black, but you know something, that's that you can find them. Don't get me wrong. I know it's easy to have five very negative voices. So there are lots of positive examples out there. But for the most part, black love is not synonymous with peace, communication, monogamy. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. it, 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 just, it just comes with all that weight. And I think for a lot of us is, you have to just look at the source. Did your parents have a loving relationship? You know, sometimes I always tell people, just, let's just go back to your parents. Not even any psychoanalytical thing. Just tell me your household. 
Does your mother love your father? Was there domestic violence? Was he cheating on her? Was he drinking? Did they ever, did they ever have discussions or were they fighting about finances? But it's, it's like, it's, you, you, we don't have any, um, what's the word? We need to reinvent for ourselves. Okay, that's number one, because the foundations are not there. I think a lot of people romanticize it and they throw in culture things, but it's, if you're talking about the love you're talking about, whereas healthy communication, like almost like what Matthew was saying, let's go travel. Like, you know, can we do fun things together? You explore this like a friendship even. You know, that's the type of love I want. We also have black trauma. We do also trauma bonding. But in trauma bonding, it's like very dangerous because it's very intoxicating. Ah, you know, I've been through it to my father, to ah, you know, that's not, that's not real bonding. Yeah, it always goes. Yeah, it's you know, not. But isn't that like? It, doesn't that bring a, a, another level of understanding of what you've been through? But then, Christine, is understanding based on shared experience only, or being able to convey your experiences? Someone saying, "Oh, I don't really know what that is like to experience it, but I can empathize with you." Do you understand? No, what I'm, I'm saying? not saying. I'm not saying one is better than the other. No, but of I'm course just not. Saying, you can have. Yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah, saying, you can yeah. have both, yeah. but sometimes when you, when you, you know, when you don't have to explain, yeah, relatability, someone, yes. true, yeah, true, you true, just be true. like, oh yeah, you get it because yeah, yeah. we share the same background and we've been through similar things. Yeah, but what you said about the the past traumas, I think it's a slippery slope in some ways. I think it's it's good to acknowledge it, but have you processed those traumas? So okay, when you're talking about it, it's coming from a place of understanding and knowing that you really share responses, but do you know how it actually affects your current relationship? If you're building it on that initial attraction and you don't expand on that or get assistant help in processing that, because a lot of it tends to come with a bit of toxic, toxicity. If you say like, oh, we all came as immigrants oh, from Harare, this and that, that's different. That's like shared experience. That's nice. That's positive. You know, so, but then if you found, you say you've been, I guess, say in these cases, you know, sexual assault, you've been raped. Um, I think that's what was implied there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sexual assault, but it wasn't a mm. full rape. But anyway, okay. still trauma. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And still of a and sexual also, nature. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing as well. Like, you know, it's, it's so, so normalized back at home sometimes, that sort of rapey behavior, for lack of a better phrase, you know, where even like some guys when they come here, sometimes they even joke, hey, man, you have to be careful here. They can send you to jail. I'm like, no, your behavior is bad. That's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think it's just because we leave so many things unsaid. Like the reprimand is low, especially for males in a patriarchal system. So when Uh you do get guys who show, quote unquote, as you said, rapey behavior, we don't reprimand that. We're just like, oh, you know, the boy being a boy, oh, he's becoming a man. And it's like, no, 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 this is actually problematic. And I remember as girls, and I'm sure all of us who are female on this can relate, you'd be always told of that one uncle who was problematic. And yes. it was your fault if you spend yes. time around him. You know, it was never, yeah. oh, we need to reprimand him. We need to control him. We need to get help. It was always, don't hang out with him. And if I see you there, it's your fault, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Or how you dress. Exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of us can relate going into town, whatever. You always had to make sure you were covered up head yes. to toe because... Yeah. A lot of the times the blame is assigned to the woman. Well, why were you dressed like that? Obviously exactly. you wanted, you know, so, and it's, it's really discouraging because it's, it's all around the world. I was actually watching an NBC program the other day and they were talking about teenage girls and the mental health in the United States. And they mm. said uh, one of the top two uh, highest concerns for teenage girls was sexual assault and rape. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like just like a known thing. And also mm-hmm. like, you know, the underreportedness of these incidents. So people just keep going. But also at the same time, it's like, will people believe you? Yes. Um, it's It becomes a he said, she said, very complicated when it's an intimate partner, because mm-hmm. obviously people have seen you going together. They obviously think, well, you guys are together. So how can you allege that he yeah. sexually assaulted you? But I, I have a question, yeah. though. Go ahead. Why? Because Amanda alluded to, well, to this, and we've spoken about this on our podcast because we uh, had an episode around domestic violence, how men don't call each other out. Why? Why is there such a problem with calling each other out and be like, that behavior is rapey, like, oh, you yeah. can't do that. Like, why do we condone? I have a question around that. Like, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's a good question. And there are a couple of theories. The main one, obviously, is, is group mentality. So the, the group is strongest if, it's all, if you protect each other. So that's number one. But I also tell people that a lot of us have those negative behaviors. So you almost want that guy. Like, let's say if you've got a guy who cheats, one who beats, one who's a sexual assaulted person. All of us, we can relate to one of those behaviors in some setting or form, more than we like to admit. So like, e, if you won't tell him, if I do it, I'm protected. But I think it's really that if we start doing that, then we have point fingers at all of us. And then that's going to be a bigger question. And each one already. Yeah, but I would like to point out that Taf did stand up for mm. Mati in Thailand. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, you, can, you can just because you do one good thing. Doesn't mean you don't. <laughs> you can, <laughs> I mean, people are complex, you know. So I think Taf is, is likable. Everyone knows a Taf, you know what I mean? You know, but this is the type of person where they can't sleep with your girl though. You know, it's like, you know, but yeah. it's funny enough. And I think you stand up what's right in certain settings. That's yeah. good of him. But ultimately he's still a deeply flawed character. And also multifaceted people. So I feel like, I think we've talked about this before, like how guys treat certain girls. So like mm. you meet, I, I feel like Taff is the type of person to meet a girl and size her up. Like this wifey yeah. material, this is blah, blah. You know, as he said, you don't bring, why bring sand to the beach, you know? So, because he's like, <laughs> I, I got options when I'm in Thailand. So he's expecting to meet girls to, to you know, play around with, not meet girls yes. who'd marry. So I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, you never know how someone's sizing you up, but we all do do it. We realize yeah. how much effort, how much respect we're going to give someone based on whatever external factors we see. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I know we're running out of time, but I, I did just want to touch on very briefly, again, talking about uh, this mental health. And, you know, sometimes accessing therapy and, and the likes can be very difficult, you know, um, yeah. in terms of cost. So I got a very interesting comment uh, from Alista. They said, I think the conversation around sex and hooking up, oftentimes what's not talked about is working capitalism and the ways that people are coping with these conditions. So coping mechanisms. And I think, you know, we're used to talking about alcohol, substance abuse, right? And the negative impacts of that. What about sex as a coping coping mechanism? Is it healthy to rely on sex? Yeah. uh, And how much? Ooh, those are, those are, okay, let me go in trouble here. Um, It is actually a coping (laughs) strategy and we do use it. Like a lot of people, I I guess a lot of men tap into that a lot and also tap tap into the toxic version of that. But sex is actually a very healthy thing to do. A lot of us should be having regular sex if you can get it, whether it's in a relationship or something where it's casual or a situationship. But the bigger question is, are you using it to fill a void 
you know, and I really, I'm using it in times when you're actually emotionally stressed because that's, that's, that's where it comes tricky. If you're using it as a regular part of like exercise, walk, sex, that's good. If it's like whenever you're just sad or low and then sex comes in and through a negative thing you have sex, then that can be going to be negative. Not all the time, but if you start having sex more frequently to avoid a stress or negative feelings, then it starts getting problematic very quickly because then you'll be like, like Marty, you know, this thing with our relationship with her husband, but then she finds herself in that situation, you know? But even, even like for her, it's still a lot about her. The tough says, no, you can't get it up. Hey, yeah. you know, and the way she took it, you know, I, I, yeah. for her, that just says a lot about her self-esteem and how it might be tied down to, I guess for her, her self-worth and pleasing a man sometimes becomes this thing you put higher than yourself, which is negative. So that's when it gets dangerous, when you're sort of using it as this ammunition for transactional emotions or to please other people and not yourself, like you're using it to leverage something from someone else. And you just have to ask yourself, just, everyone just go home, and ask yourself, when's the last time you had sex sober? You know, sober mm. sex, it's rare. Mm. People. But well, as Matty just... put it, he didn't even give me good pu- two pumps. So yeah, yes. surprise. <laughs> Player Taft couldn't get it. Yeah, he couldn't mm-hmm. pump it, apparently. Oh. I think we, we've covered, we've covered what we, what we can cover yeah. really. I mean, yeah. like there's, there's a lot <laughs> that yeah. happened yeah. in, uh, season two, we we can't do everything, but I just want to say yeah. a big thank you to you guys for joining the after show. I mean, this has been so much fun to just like hear mm. how you guys have been receiving it. But I did want to mention that we are doing a fun thing on It's Layered with the whole cast. So make sure to yeah. check out It's Layered. Not sure when that's going to come out yet, but in the meantime, there's loads of content you can listen to on It's Layered where Amanda and Rubid delve deeper into some of these topics that we just talked about yeah so yeah that's that's it for private affairs season two after show um yeah and there's going to be some more bonus content coming your way once i get around to editing it but you're speaking of burnout yeah your girl is Thanks again to Rumbi and Amanda. Check out their podcast, It's Layered, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player. You can also follow them on Instagram at It's Layered or on Twitter at It's Layered Pod. And many thanks to Dr. Xavier as well for coming on and sharing his expertise with us. To support Private Affairs, please donate or shop merch at privateaffairspod.com. And to stay up to date with all things Private Affairs, you can sign up for the newsletter also at privateaffairspod.com or follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Private Affairs Pod, on Twitter at Private Affairs P. All right, I'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.